Arsenal Football Club, the pride of London, the heartbeat of the city and the capital's most successful club by quite some distance. I've been a regular fixture at the Emirates ever since it opened back in July 2006, but no matter how many times I walk underneath the Hornsey Road rail bridge, up the stairs towards the ground and make my way to my seat in Block 6, the feeling of excitement, the buzz and my enthusiasm remain unchanged. Over the years I've had the pleasure of watching Thierry Henry, Dennis Burkamp, Tony Adams and many more. My love affair and bond with this magnificent club continues to grow stronger and I wouldn't change it for the world. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Harry Simeu, a published author, broadcaster and freelance football writer, but above all, I'm a gooner. Back in January 2018, I decided to put my experience to good use and created the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Since the show's launch, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Ray Parler, Kevin Campbell, Frank McClintock, Tom Watt, Robbie Lyle and Sky Sports commentator Martin Tyler. I've written a book titled The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18, telling the story of Arsenal's final season in charge, had it published and collaborated with some of the finest Arsenal podcasts out there. None of this would have been possible without your fantastic support, and I'm truly humbled. But we're not stopping there. We're stepping things up a notch. This season, we're bringing you more shows, more special guests, more collaborations, more YouTube videos, a brand spanking new website, and lots of bonus content. With our audience continuously growing, the demand for insightful, informative, and up-to-date stuff is higher than ever, and so we'll be bringing a producer on board, recording our weekly show in a professional studio, and that is why we need your support. The show will always be free, and we intend to keep it that way, but if you like what you hear, you can become a patron for just $5 a month. Support us with our costs, and in our goal to produce content of the highest quality. Gain early access to our interviews and bonus content. Have your questions prioritized, and once you've been on board for three months, you'll receive a free gift to show our appreciation. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and over at FNX. Subscribe, leave us a review, and spread the word. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. This is episode 22. I'm your host, Harry Simiu. On this week's episode, we'll be reflecting on a disappointing defeat at Stamford Bridge. And joining me later on in the show is former Gunners midfielder Ryan Smith, so we can get his thoughts on the game. Now, despite conceding two goals inside 20 minutes, Arsenal gave a pretty decent account of themselves at the weekend, at least in an attacking sense. But not for the first time, our defending left a lot to be desired. The back four on the day were Bayerin, Mustafi, Sogradis, Monreal, and I thought Nacho was probably one of our better performers. He provides the perfect example of how a fullback should balance getting forward to support attacks whilst remaining switched on to his defensive obligations. Now, as I said on last week's podcast, having a naturally left-footed player joining the move as opposed to a right-footed fullback makes all the difference. That way he can go on the outside and give us the width we lack when the likes of Iwobi playing out on the left insist on stepping inside. Speaking of Alex Iwobi, his selection certainly came as a surprise to many. Now, I'd previously spoken about how I'd have started him against City in the opener. And given that he didn't get a look in that day, I guess I just assumed that Unai Emery didn't fancy him. 
But he started, he played exceptionally well in my opinion, and if you cast your mind back to the draw we picked up at the bridge last season, he played an instrumental part that day. If we take a look at the first goal, Hector Bellerin gets sucked in field, Marcus Alonso gallops down Chelsea's left-hand side, Mkhitaryan was slow to react and track the run, can't keep up with him, the Spaniard gets into a crossing position, squares it to Pedro who finishes with ease. Now, Pedro seemed to be in so much space. And and having watched it back a couple of times, I guess it's because he started in an offside position. Therefore, the centre-halves stepped up to play him offside. And, and, and so you can't really blame them for not getting back. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's a bit harsh to be overly critical of, the, of Mustafi and Sogradis there. For the second, you know, Absolute sickener. Aubameyang's just missed a golden opportunity. A simple long ball over the top. Morata simply too quick, too strong. Allowed to cut inside too easily by Mustafi. And he gives check the eyes. Sends him the wrong way. Mkhitaryan's fine strike then made it 2-1 with his weaker left foot. And it was game on, you know. Um, he then played a, a wonderful ball, Mkhitaryan across the penalty area, and there was Alex Iwobi to smash in the Arsenal equaliser. Uh, so good times, you know, pulled ourselves back um, to 2-2. And, and considering we were dead and buried at 2-0, it was, it was fantastic. Just going back to the team selection, you know, although we lost... I felt as though this team had a far better balance to it than the one that started against Manchester City. It was more of a 4-2-3-1 as opposed to what seemed a 4-3-3 um, last weekend against City. But unfortunately, we still showed the same defensive shortcomings, the same weaknesses. And Emery's insistence on playing the ball out from the back did cause us a few more of those hairy moments. Now, I totally understand the concept of the two centre-halves spreading in order to give the goalkeeper options, but I can't for the life of me work out why they position themselves literally on the byline. Seems far too deep of a starting position for me, and I just think it invites way too much pressure. Whilst I still think Petr Cech has tons of work to be doing in terms of his ability to play out from the back, he was better at it this weekend, and common sense tells us that it'll only get better with time. I think we need to just accept that there are risks playing this way, whoever the goalkeeper is. I mean, wasn't it just last week Edison, a keeper signed for his ability to play from the back, passed the ball straight to Mesut Ozil? You know, and, and Jens Lehmann made a really interesting point uh, on this on the Sky Sports debate show the other night where he said, you know, as a professional, you have to react to the game. And, and, and that means in certain circumstances, you will abandon what your manager's told you. And I think just common sense needs to prevail a little bit. And, and, you know, the Germans absolutely spot on there. It's great to have a philosophy. Of course it is. But ultimately, the game dictates your actions. Putting the keeper sweeper talk to one side for the moment, Pedacek made some wonderful saves and that shouldn't go unmentioned. Emery's comments last week confirmed he is the number one at the moment. And whilst many will argue you shouldn't spend 20, 25 million on a keeper just to bench him, it's difficult to argue with a man who watches them day in, day out on the training ground, has spent pre-season with them. And maybe Emery's just not been that impressed with Leno up to now. I think Czech's performance on Saturday has earned him the right to start against West Ham United this coming weekend. Again, we'll be previewing on our bonus podcast coming out this Thursday. 
19-year-old Matteo Guendouzi once again impressed in the Arsenal midfield. His work rate and range of passing were particularly great to see. He seems to be maturing very, very quickly, learning very, very quickly, and his performance was significantly better than what we saw last week. At this level, when you're thrown into the deep end, you've got to learn as fast as possible. You cannot afford to let the pressure get to you. You need to stay afloat, and Matteo Guendouzi showed on Saturday that he's a fearless young individual. From my point of view, there was never any doubt about his talent. And I put out a tweet last week, which I got absolutely pelted for simply saying that we all just need to calm down a little in regards to the Frenchman. He's still very young. And whilst I predict he'll turn out to be an excellent player, it's still very early days. That's all I'm saying. The last time we had such high hopes for a young midfield player was when Jack Wilshire broke through. He was overplayed, overhyped, and look how that turned out. I also want to talk a little bit about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and his somewhat disappointing start to the season now. He missed two glorious opportunities at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. The type you cannot afford to waste in any match, let alone such a high-profiled London derby. Every forward has off days. Having played as one myself, I understand that, but I find it strange that he seems to be immune to any criticism from our fan base. Why is that? Tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC. In my view, he is just as responsible for our defeat as the defence are, yet nobody wants to talk about his poor performance. As usual, our fan base picks and chooses who deserves criticism based on player popularity and their own agendas. So having come from two goals down, how did we end up losing the game? I think it comes down to a number of things. The obvious lack of concentration, allowing Marcus Alonso to drift into our penalty area completely unmarked, something we were guilty of just last season at the Emirates Stadium too. The introduction of Eden Hazard, without doubt the best player on the park, and his influence gave Chelsea that extra edge, that extra bit of quality in the final third that they were perhaps missing up until that point. And call me harsh, but I feel Unai Emery's changes also contributed to the defeat. Now, let me make it clear. I completely understand he's still learning about his squad, their limitations, their strengths. And so I'm not angry with him in the slightest. I'm not having a go at him. I'm just making some observations. Now, Martin Tyler once told me that the key to analysing a football match is to say what you see and not what preconception tells you. Sounds like sound advice. So I'm doing exactly that. I'm saying what I saw. I thought the withdrawal of Granite Xhaka was a mistake. And I know most of you would disagree with me. I gathered that from the Twitter response I had shortly after the game. And that's absolutely fine. Debate is what football is all about. After a very shaky start, we'd managed to grab a foothold of the game. We were creating chances at will. Chelsea were rocking. And when the half-time whistle blew, we were well on top. Yes, Granit Xhaka misplaced a few passes, and I'm not for a minute saying he doesn't have faults or shortcomings, but I just felt there was no need to change anything at that particular point. Torreira, as great as he may turn out to be, offers you something completely different to Xhaka, and I felt that we missed the Swiss international's physical presence in that second half. I know Xhaka, you know wasn't performing brilliantly. However, I feel that change just disrupted our rhythm and our momentum. 
it was just unnecessary in my opinion, you know. Plenty of other players remain on the pitch despite being booked, so that's not a valid excuse either. Shaka was far more willing to go and collect the ball from the back four. The stats confirm that. And that's why we had more possession in the first half, in my opinion. Now, like I said, when I tweeted this, plenty of you disagreed. And like I've already said, that's absolutely fine. But I don't think it's a coincidence that we were totally dominated in the middle of the park once that change was made. Sari recognised he could now get away with adding another ball player to his midfield at that point and brought on Matteo Kovacic. And the Blues eventually wore us down. I also felt the decision to introduce Lacazette on 75 minutes was a mistake. 15 minutes remaining, level at 2-2. Why would you bring another forward on? Aubameyang isn't going to defend for you out on the left. Of course, it's easy to say in hindsight, but I'm talking more from a tactical perspective. Forgetting for a moment that it was Lacazette's misplaced pass that led to Chelsea's winner. I'd hoped we were getting a more pragmatic manager in Emery, somebody who would recognise we'd done marvellously well to pull it back to 2-2. And with 15 minutes to go away from home, the right thing to do was to try and see the game out. Why not bolster the midfield if Iwobi had to come off? That really, really disappointed me, I've got to say. One change that I was pleased to see, however, was that involving Mesut Ozil. It was refreshing to see him hooked off for a poor performance. That wouldn't have happened under Arsene Wenger. And it's nice to see that no player is immune to being replaced. He failed to show up again and was poor throughout. Unai Emery tried his best, bless him, in his post-match interview to, to, to be positive and stuff. But... I just wish that he would speak through a, a translator and, and this might sound horrible and I'm not taking anything away from him. It takes a lot of bollocks to come out and speak in another language and it's great that he's trying to improve in his English. But I just don't understand what he's saying and I don't understand sometimes the message that he's trying to put across. And I suspect communication could be a real problem for him on the training ground too. Do you agree with anything I've said? Do you disagree with what I've said? Tweet me. You know the drill at Chronicles underscore AFC. I'm going to take a short break now. And when we return, I'll be joined on the line by former Arsenal midfielder Ryan Smith to see what he thought of the weekend's defeat. The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18 is now on sale. The Chronicles of Aguna tells the story of Arsene's final season through a supporter's eyes, attempts to shed light on some of the season's major talking points and features exclusive interviews with Ray Parler, Kevin Campbell, Tom Watt and Robbie Lyle. Available to order now from Amazon, Waterstones and all major bookstores, The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18. Order your copy now by clicking the link in the description. Ryan, welcome to the Chronicles of Aguna. How are you, my friend? I'm not too bad, thank you. Thank you for having me as well. Thank no you. worries. It's our pleasure. Um, Ryan, what was your assessment of our overall performance at Stamford Bridge? Um, to be honest, I mean, it's pretty mixed. I feel like defensively, we were uh, pretty disorganized at times. Um, you know, sometimes certain defenders were drawn out or they didn't see runners um, and it was, you know, pretty obvious that um, they need more time to play together, I think. Uh, but 
in terms of the overall performance, yeah, defensively we didn't look that great. Um, but the positives we can take from it were that we created chances um, and quite a few. In, in fact, we could have won the game um, because we made some very good chances for ourselves at the other end of the pitch. So it's almost, I mean, I see, I see positivity on that end, but I see um, things we need to work on in terms of the defence as well. So obviously we didn't get the win. Um, I think that the, the third goal in particular is pretty disappointing because although um, I love Lacazette, you know, he, he made a bad pass, which resulted in a goal at the end, um, which they won from. So, you know, overall going to Stamford Bridge, um, two two for, for quite a while, and then the third goal killed us. So, yeah, I mean, decent performance, but it just wasn't enough, was it? In the end, that's right. It's a mixed bag, isn't it? It's difficult because you walk away from it thinking, you know, what we we played pretty well today for for large parts of the game, but unfortunately, it it ended up we ended up empty-handed, I suppose. Um, what did you make of Matteo Guendouzi's performance in the middle of the park? Because he's had a lot of plaudits. I'm still a little bit cautious because he is so young um, to start raving about the lad. I think he's got bags and bags of potential. What have you seen from him? What what, what do you think he, he can achieve and, and how good is this boy? Um, personally, I think he's fantastic prospect. Um, I think it's, it's testament to his ability that he's been, he started both games um, in the Premier League this season. Um but it's not just that. What what I like about this kid is that he's uh, he puts his foot in. He works tremendously hard um, off the ball um, and also on it. But his quality on the ball is fantastic as well. And I mean, I don't want to put too much pressure on him like yourself, but um, I feel like we've got a real, real gem in that boy. I think he's a fantastic little prospect. And, um, you know, in years to come, as he improves, you never know, we could be looking at the future Arsenal captain. Yeah, totally agree. And Ryan, just to tap into your experience a little bit, like how good a club is Arsenal to, to be at when you're coming through as a young player? Okay, well, my opinion might be slightly biased because obviously I've <laughs> born down the road from the stadium and, um, you know, Arsenal lifelong fan. Um, but it's, it's, it's an amazing club. I mean... I don't want to come out of all the cliches and, and what have you, but for me, my personal outlook and experience um, influences my uh, answer. So, of course, Arsenal's an amazing, amazing, amazing club. Um, you know, the, the, from the from the stadium to the training ground to to you know the people that cut the grass. I mean, it's it's a fantastic club and. You know, it's, players nowadays, they just need to go out and play. They don't have to worry about anything. Players don't even clean boots nowadays or anything like that. You know, it's, it's just, the game's changed a lot. But, um, you know, I'm Arsenal to, like, die through and through. My whole family is, you know, I hardly find a bad thing or a negative thing to say about the club. It's, it's a fantastic club. Yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree, of course. Um, you mentioned about the mistake that Lacazette made, and, and we've spoken about that. I would admit, I was disappointed to see Lacazette come on when the game was so finely balanced because I thought that perhaps we could have been a little bit more cautious at that point, perhaps bolstered the midfield instead. 
in your opinion, can we accommodate both Lacazette and Aubameyang in the same team? And if so, how would you go about it? Firstly, I think I agree with your point. I think um, if Lacazette is to come on, it, it has to... I mean, we're playing away at Stamford Bridge. It's never easy. You know, they've got one of the best teams in the Premier League. So um, I agree with your point. Maybe we should have brought on someone else to bolster the midfield and shore up the game a little bit. Um, but, you know, Lacazette, he, for me personally, I'd love to see him play alongside Aubameyang from the start. Um, whether we're playing our usual formation or a different formation, I feel like they have a, a great synergy. Um, and I think, I think they complement each other because they're good friends as well and they understand each other. So it would be great um, for them both to start for me. Um, but, you know, hopefully um, in the near future that, that, that will come to fruition, fingers crossed, because I feel like they'd be deadly. Um, but again, Lacazette hasn't since he's joined Arsenal. He's he, he's he's not really he's not become that um, focal player, um, so yeah. to speak, because you know he's 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 come off the bench a lot, or he's not finished games. I remember Wenger used to take him off quite a bit. So I, I'd like to, to see him transition into that player, and I feel like having a Bamiyang and himself playing together, I think it will. It will um, it will pan out really well for the club, and, and we'll be, we'll be successful in front of goal. Yep, I, I I completely agree. I think with him, like you said, he's not really become that focal point. He seems a bit quiet in certain games, and I don't know, maybe that's just the way he he is. I haven't seen much of him before he came to Arsenal. I'd be lying if I said I watch the French league every week. So um, perhaps my expectations were slightly different to the reality, I guess. Um, we've spoken about the manager's philosophy quite a lot in the last week, his insistence on on playing the ball out from the back. And at times we've played ourselves into trouble. As a former player, you'll be able to tell us, is there not a point where you just say to yourself, this isn't working and you just go with your own instincts on the pitch? Uh, good question. I feel like, you know, he, he did it successfully at PSG um, and um, previous clubs as well. But problem is, if the forwards um, and the midfielders uh, are pressing high when the goalkeeper has it for a goal kick, there's no point playing out the back. Yeah. There's no, there's no point whatsoever. So I don't want to criticise because, you know, the man has his own philosophy and we have to respect it. But I think common sense comes into it as well and common sense has to prevail. Um, sometimes you just got to knock it up the pitch. I feel like it does overcomplicate things at times and, and it's unnecessary. Um, and as we saw um, in, in our previous game, you know, we uh, check nearly scored an own goal, you know, like, we, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to play it from the back. This time we just got to knock it up there. Yeah. That's you know, there's, there's no point doing it. And even on, even against Chelsea the other day, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just unnecessary. Just knock it up there. And then it's a 50-50. So, the players just have to fight for the ball. One's going to win it, the other one doesn't. And the other players around, around um, where the ball's going to land, they just have to be pre prepared and uh, go into a 50-50. That's literally all we have to do. So, if we can and the team's sitting back, play out from the back. Fine, I get it. But if not, just knock it up the pitch. It's not, it's not rocket science. Yeah, that's right. You've got to assess the danger sometimes, isn't it? And the risk that 
you're taking by playing that way. And one thing I've noticed that Emery's teams do that Guardiola's don't in the sense of playing from the back is that our centre-half seem to, although they pull wide, instead of sitting on the edge of the penalty area where Guardiola's do, they seem to come right back to the byline, don't they? And that, yeah. for me, just invites so much exactly. pressure. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure of the, the logic behind that, but I guess I'm sure Emery is, has got it uh, thought out in his head and he knows exactly what he's doing because that's why he's paid to manage Arsenal when I'm not. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, the results haven't gone as we would have liked. The fixtures have been tough, probably the toughest two games we could have asked for. But in your eyes, have you seen any improvements under Emery yet? I, I have. I've seen, um, obviously, in pre-season, the players looked a lot happier. Um, going into this season, I feel like because of previous seasons and results um, haven't gone our way and the team hasn't been performed to the standard expected, I feel like no matter what you do in the pre-season or new manager coming in, it's down to the individual um, to go out there and, and forget about all of that and just play with confidence. And I feel like there may be still some cobwebs from the previous seasons or, or, or previous regime. Yeah. Um, and I think it shows on, it's been showing against City and Chelsea, but um, that'll, that'll, that'll blow over. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I feel like as soon as we get our next win, hopefully against West Ham, um, then everything will be forgotten about. And I really think we'll hit our stride because to be fair, we've been given two really tough fixtures to begin with. Um, it's not a crisis. You know, they're just two really well oiled teams. Um, so we just need to give him time. Um, his, his philosophy works. Um, he wants to play attacking football. The fact that he wants to play out from the back shows that. Um, you know, he wants to play football and, and, and play from the back all the way to the front by passing through teams and, and, and being effective. But, um, you know, he'll learn. He would have learned from these two games as well. Let's not forget. You yeah, know, of course, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure um, we will play out from the back and stuff like that when we can. But I'm sure now he'll be fully aware that if teams are pressing us high up, um, we're not going to do that. We'll just knock it long. But I think he's the right man. He's definitely the right man for the job. We just need to give him time. That's all it is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, Ryan, just finally, what is a realistic aim for Arsenal this season? Is the top four realistic for us? Or should we be looking to just improve on last season and maybe even finishing fifth and just maybe giving the Europa League a good go? What would you say is a realistic ambition to have? <laughs> It's hard to say, really. I think a realistic ambition for us would be, I reckon, top five, top six. It's got to be because, remember, this team's got a gel as well. It's not easy. You know, you look at United and um, the money they spent over the last, well, since the Moyes era, um, you know, since Ferguson left, it took a few transfer windows for them to half get back to normal and even now you know you look at their performance the other day they're still showing signs of of um moistness <laughs> you know, yeah exactly you know for want of a for want of a better term but you know it's it's yeah we'll we'll get there we'll get there we just need yeah and 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 also we have to bear in mind that these play, players are new at the club and we need to give them time as well so i would say if we do top six this season 
I think I think it's not too it's realistic. We can do that, I think. We can do it, but just you know, urge the fans to be patient because, you know, it's the, the fella's new to the league. Um and he'll learn very quick because it's the toughest league in the world. So top six, fingers crossed. Anything better than that, um, I'll be buzzing. Um, but we have to make top six for me, and I think we will. Yeah, that's right. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Much, much appreciated. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Anytime you want. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was former Arsenal midfielder Ryan Smith, who made his debut for the club back in 2003. We thank him for his time. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the comments that Shkodran Mustafi made just a few days ago, where he said the following when talking about Unai Emery. He told me the positives in my game and what to work on. I'm happy because it's difficult when you never know what to work on because no one tells you. Now, that to me sounds like a dig at Arsene Wenger. It seems as though he's trying to say he never got any constructive criticism or any direction from the manager. And whilst that might be true, you know, I, I do take issue with with Mustafi's comments just a little bit because he's a German international. He's played more than 100 league games in Serie A and La Liga. Surely he cannot be blaming all of his bad performances on Arsene Wenger because there have been so many. You know, surely he needs to take some responsibility. And I just think that was a bit of a low blow and very unnecessary. Now it's time to answer some of your questions that have been sent in via Twitter. Thank you very much for those. This first question comes from Mid Carter J, which is at Mid Carter J on Twitter. If Shaka was to get dropped on Saturday, do you think that El Neni will start before Lucas Torreira does? In my opinion, no. I think we've seen based on on Saturday, I guess, that Unai Emery prefers Lucas Torreira to Mohamed Elneny, he, he can't seem to get a sniff at the moment. So, uh, no, I don't. I think Lucas Torreira will uh, will be the first one um, that he selects if it's a toss-up between the two. Next question comes from PEA Golden Boot um, on Twitter. He says, are we seeing the end of Shaka's influence at the club? A lot of granite Shaka-based questions this week. Um no, I think Granit Xhaka has a huge part to play in Unai Emery's plans. I think that's why he signed a new contract recently. I think the club see him as a valuable asset. He tends to start seasons slowly and improves as they go on, if you look at recent history. So I'm not too concerned about Granit Xhaka. I think he's getting a lot of unfair criticism, um, you know, in my opinion anyway. Uh, this next one comes from Taj. He says, do you think this system Unai wants to play will be better served with more high energy runners in the team over technically gifted players? Um, I certainly think that Unai will be looking over the next couple of transfer windows to get more of his type of player in the door. The types of players that are suited to his system, of course, I think that would be applicable with any manager that comes into a new job. But at the at the moment, for the time being, he can only work with what he's got. You you can't sign 11 players and, and replace everybody in one transfer window. So let's see um, how he gets on. But yeah, I, of course, the system would work better with players tailored to it. No doubt about that. Uh, 
This next one comes from Melvin Marks. Thank you for your question, Melvin. Are we complicating things too much? Hopefully Emery will explain the system and anyone who refuses or can't adhere to it will be replaced by someone in the squad that can. Um, I don't think we're overcomplicating it too much. I just think it's something new and something very different to what we've been used to. And therefore, it's going to take time to implement it. And the final question I'm going to read out comes from Asor. Um, on Twitter, do we continue with our 4-3-3-4-2-3-1 and try to max our performance with them? Or should we try new formations and lineups versus the weaker oppositions? No, I think if you're going to go with a system, you need to give it some time. I think it's pretty clear how Unai wants to play. Um, it is something between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3, perhaps depending on the opponent, depending whether we're home or away. So let, let's give it some time. I don't think he should tinker with it too much because then he's never going to implement what he wants to do. He's never going to find a balance. He's never going to you know, find a, a set system and that will be a problem for me. Right, that brings us to the end of episode 22. We'll be back on Thursday with our West Ham preview and I'll be talking to James Jones, editor-in-chief of Football Fancast and founder of westhamworld.co.uk to get the lowdown on our opponents. Subscribe, review and spread the word. Thank you very much to my guest, Ryan Smith, and we'll be back very, very soon. Ciao.